They wanted this family, this pedigree line, to have a champion cow. Maybe this is hard to follow. They said that this really good-looking cow is actually from this family, and it wasn't. We made up an excuse that we were there just checking tattoo numbers, and we noticed that all the tattoos were done in the last week. So then we called the RCMP. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is episode 63 of the Personal Finance Show and the last episode of 2018. I've published one episode every week since January of this year, and it's been such a great experience. I learn so much from every guest, which is what I hope for you when you're listening. I'm going to take the next few weeks off from publishing episodes and prepare all of the episodes for the first three months of 2019. If you haven't heard, my wife Kayla is pregnant with our first child, a baby boy, and he's coming sometime in January. So I'll be busy at work over the next little while assembling future podcasts so that I can spend the first few months of 2019 learning how to be a parent. And I couldn't be happier that my final guest of 2018 is my cousin, Cal McWilliam. Cal McWilliam helps developing countries get money when they need it most. Cal is a senior economist at the World Bank, a global organization that helps to reduce poverty and build shared prosperity in developing countries. Cal will meet with the government officials of these countries, who have already reached out to the World Bank for loans or grants, and provide them with the funding they need. Okay, it's not that easy. The government officials might need to make a few changes before they qualify for the loans or grants. These are usually changes that will improve their country in some way. Positive changes. Sounds like it should be an easy decision, right? Implement policy change that's meant to improve the lives of your citizens, and you get money from the World Bank. Money you asked for. Money that you said you really need. And if it's a grant, you don't even have to pay that back. But often Cal will visit these countries after speaking with their government officials and find they haven't made the changes necessary to qualify for the money. Despite these frustrations, Cal continues to dedicate his career to helping others, as he has since he started at the Canadian International Development Agency, or CEDA, in the 1980s. Cal now lives near Washington, D.C., and I was very happy that he agreed to sit with me when I was visiting earlier this year to talk about his personal finance story. Money memory, I was, I'm not a person that was like driven by money. No, and okay. still not driven by money. So yeah. my first money memories are not very vivid or... Like I needed money to go yeah, like buy I, that, uh, you know, candy or... No, exactly. Okay. And I, but I can remember the, my first kind of like memorable money moment. Like where money started to mean something to you? No, you, kind of where just money was... In, here's what happened. So I can remember when I was maybe 14 or 15. Okay. And my dad ran these businesses up in Grand Bend, you know, this cottage resort area okay. on, yeah, yeah. On, on Lake, Lake Huron. Huron. Yeah, on the coast of Lake Huron. So what kind of business? So that, he was always the entrepreneur. So he, okay. he always, never worked for anybody except mm. for, I think, the first year or two sure. of his career after he got out of, he went to Ryerson. 
uh, in electronic engineering or something. Really? Okay. Not not engineering, like electronic. Like building electronics? Like, or? like yeah, repairing at okay. the time. Yeah. Repairing televisions so and radios like and a, radar systems. So sure. he's working on radar systems up in the north. That was okay. his first job. But then he, he came back and he opened a TV sales and repair shop. Him okay. and buddy. Nice. I think it was his best man at the time. Opened this this business. And then he just went from one business to another. So Like opening more business or changing business? Changing businesses. Okay. Yeah. He went from there to running a marina. Okay. That was located at the Windsor Yacht Club because he was always into boats and we always had boats as a kid. So sure. he bought the local marina and he ran that for a few years. And then he opened arenas in the Windsor, Essex County area. And that's where you that's, that's where you're living in this yeah, uh, yeah. time. Yeah. So would you say he was a serial entrepreneur? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. This, and he just saw an opportunity where there was a shortage of rinks. Sure. Most of the rinks in Canada are public. Yeah. They're owned by the communities. Okay, yeah. And he said, you know, it takes a long time to get public funds and for a community to build a rink. Mm-hmm. And so he just started building rinks in the Windsor area. And there's a big demand from Detroit, too, because they didn't have very many rinks so at they all. Would just hockey cross was over. booming over yeah. there. And so okay. uh, half his ice time was rented. And then one of his things was ice rinks in the winter. And then he had this resort in Grand, in Grand Bend, Bend in the summer. There was a restaurant there, an ice cream shop, a beach stand where they were, you know, selling you know, hot dogs and hamburgers and drinks and, and whatnot you were, on the beach. you were working there? And yeah, so I would always work there. But I can remember my first, this goes back to my first money memory. And it was, he left me up there for a week. Okay, like to By myself at like 14 years old. No, because the house we lived in needed to be painted. So he said, you stay here for a week and you scrape the entire exterior of the house. Oh, great. <laughs> the whole week. The whole week, all by myself. And he was paying me like, X amount of dollars. I think it added worked out to like three dollars an hour or something. Like back then in the seventies. Is it summertime? Yeah. Like, so you're off. This school, was early summer, and yeah. he said, "You go and you t- spend this whole week." Yeah. And I'll pay you a certain amount. Exactly. Which, like, you weren't thinking about the value of money. Oh at no, this no, because point. I didn't have a need for money. Yeah. You know, I was whatever I needed for money. I could basically get from my father or whatever. You know, there was no restrictions. So, like, it doesn't sound like he was like extremely well off, but he was making money with these businesses. He would be considered them into the next business. upper middle class. Okay, upper middle class. Yeah, yeah. Like these were all successful businesses that he exactly. ran. Like he exactly. would run it to, and make a lot of money, and then move on to the next one. Yeah. It's not like they, he would. And like, he would make money selling them because he had probably okay. brought it up to a certain. So he was able to build the businesses up because yeah. there are serial entrepreneurs that do not do that. The business fails and then they move on to the next thing and they start over. Right. 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 And so he was. No, no. To... None of his businesses ever failed. Okay. And that's... he never lost money at anything. I don't think. Wow. That's really good. Yeah. And he just kind of, do you think he just bootstrapped this whole concept? Like, did he learn how to do this? Oh yeah. Like he didn't is go it to in, business school in the or family blood or something. Not in his what, what side of the family, because my grandfather yeah. on my paternal side, his father worked in the auto industry. Yeah, okay, in Windsor. Sure, you know he, but he was he was like a plant manager. You yeah, know, basically, a, basically blue collar, but yeah, exactly, but moved the, up to management the man, as over his career level. Yeah, but he would have probably worked forty years at, mm-hmm. at Ford or Chrysler, exactly. and and then uh, and retired. And then and, yeah, but your dad didn't follow in his footsteps. No. He no. wanted to. Yeah, did you guys ever talk about this? Uh, Not I mean, really. Like why? Like what drove him? Yeah. Why would he do? Seeing his dad have a probably comfortable life, moving up in management. Why he decided maybe like, well, there's no, the capitalism yeah, there. There's no room I to grow. Or, or he really made the most of his ability to have no 
no cap, right? Like yeah. there's no cap on your dad's income. No, no. When you're in your own business, entrepreneur, he no, just no. kept making exactly. it bigger and bigger. Meanwhile, he could have been working just as hard in a, a regular job and it would have grown much Who knows slower. How, how your life right. develops, right? Yeah, I think a lot true. of it is just chance and yeah. opportunity at the time okay. and a decision here and a decision there and it ends up. But he probably liked the freedom of having oh, I think this, so. these businesses. I think so. I so, so your first experience. Is, so so then he left me up painting. there for this week. Yeah, scraping and, and, and I was supposed painting. to scrape the whole house. I can remember they were putting these like blocks in at the beach. Okay, where okay. the parking lot is. Oh, okay. And yeah. they were looking for local labor, like to like lay down to lay all these blocks. Yes, blocks. just grunt yeah. work. Yeah. Okay. And they were paying five dollars like an hour. You know how to scrape uh, houses, you? <laughs> yeah. So they were there, and it was, this was like. Two blocks away, and uh, you did the same time, or this is after you were done. This the same week, same week. And so I said, "Screw the house! <laughs> I'm going to make an extra two dollars." <laughs> Screw what your dad's going to say. What, what, no, and no. I didn't even think about no, that. No, really, okay. And that's that's why it was my most memorable first money experience because, like, it was the wrong thing to do. You weren't driven right? by money, but you. I were wasn't driven, driven by but money. You were this time. But I think it was more because I didn't really want to scrape. Yeah. And this was a little bit easier, even though it was grunt work. And more value. And more higher pay. Okay. But yeah. my dad was pissed. And I thought, <laughs> You didn't this... think of the negative value. No, exactly. And so this is why it sticks in my mind, because like it was the wrong decision. <laughs> and you shouldn't be driven by the extra $2 an hour. Like You made a commitment. Yeah. And if that would have been, let's say... Not my father, another employer. Oh yeah, that would have been you would have been fired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or you would your reputation would have been sullied as the the local laborer. And so I think the 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 lesson learned, and that's probably why it's memorable, is like you commit to something, stick with it, get the job done, yeah, and move on to the next thing after. If you if you realize, or this time you didn't have a choice this time, like you made your choice, but really you didn't. Your dad said, "Do this," right? Yeah, and there were consequences. And sometimes we do make those, you know, you agree to a job or a contract and it's really not what you thought it was going to be or, right. or, or you other don't like it, yeah, yeah. but you know, it's only a week. Yeah. Just tough it out. Just, do yeah. it. And yeah, without, without ruining your reputation. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he probably didn't give me another <laughs> yeah. responsible job for a while until not, I was maybe 16 yeah, and sure. a little more maturity. So because of the businesses and your dad was doing pretty well, then you you probably didn't have to work for anybody else in uh, high school. No, no. And not at all. So at the rinks, yeah, he had hockey schools eventually after he sold the thing in grand bend and we, he left that he had hockey schools and I was a hockey player. So I would act as a counselor there, taking care of the kids, tying their skates, collecting pucks, doing all the grunt kind of work for for your dad. But All you wouldn't time. get paid for this? Oh, yeah. Okay, so he would pay you. Yeah, okay. and that was another thing that shows kind of how I really didn't care for the money. Yeah. I was, I've never been driven by money because I can remember his accountant, kind of his manager, yeah. saying, you know, we're out $900 or something. Yeah. Like, what's yeah. going on? And I can remember my dad then coming to me and saying, are you cashing your checks or are they just piling up in your drawer? <laughs> He's like, I need to reconcile. Yeah. And I, and I just, go back and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got about, I don't know, 900 bucks here. <laughs> you just thought they were like certificates to frame. Yeah. Because are- <laughs> again, I did need money. You know, if I needed 20 bucks, I'd ask him for 20 bucks if I needed it. It's an, that's an interesting thing, right? Because in a way, your dad's teaching you, like, you know, we're, you're working, you're doing a job and you're getting yeah, paid. Yeah, getting paid, yeah, yeah. But you're also not having to buy anything with this money or do anything with it. So you're not learning how to do that. No, I wasn't learning, learning how to the, budget or how to... And any no. of that, I mean, we might be skipping ahead, but when, when do you remember 
first having to do that? University. Yeah. Okay. So you went. So I remember at university. So uh, what would happen is I'd work over the summer with my dad at these various things, Mm -hmm. and it was sometimes more than just hockey school. You know, there were times when I would run the midnight shift at the rink. You know, whenever you're needed. Yeah, whatever is needed. And so what would happen is I would try to make that money that I made over the summer last for as long as I could. Yeah. Into the school year. Okay. You know, at university. In university. And then, of course, it never lasted long enough. You know, you can't really make enough money over the summer to get you through the whole year, kind of. And so I would try to make it as long as I could. And I can remember being fairly frugal, but not starving student frugal. Just so that I didn't have to ask him for money, you know, until at least maybe into the second semester. Well, what what was his policy on on school? Like, who pays? No, no, he paid. So he paid. No, it was a total... He paid for the school, but this was your living expenses that you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And food, he, entertainment, if, beer and money, why, stuff like that. It's an interesting thought, right? Like he seemed to be okay providing the money when you needed it, but why do you think it was hard for you to ask? Or why do you think you didn't want to ask? Like right I think off the because bat? compared to my sister, yeah, who was also at school, yeah, he was I think harder on her money wise. Interesting. Because he I think he perceived her as more of a free spender. I see. So it's like he kind of knew I was fru- you, you not frugal, fr- but, but not not you have wasting built-in money. Frugality. Yeah. yeah, not yeah. wasting money. Exactly. I, I wasn't spending money on things I didn't need. That's right. And so it, it was kind of a little bit of a you know a challenge. Okay. To see how far I could get and make him think that I'm doing my part <laughs> yeah. in not really spending but, too much. I mean that. But I always knew I could just said, go to him. Yeah, you're very practical. I guess practicality yeah. as opposed to frugality. I think. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, you're yeah you're no, you're, I wasn't cheap. No, you're very practical. Yeah, and I wasn't money. getting other guys to buy my beer or no, yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, taking care of yourself. Yeah. So at this point, like, what did you what did you decide to start in university? Like, what kind of degree did you want? Agriculture. And so my original yeah. motivation yeah, was, was to be a vet. Okay. To be a veterinarian. Yeah. And so that was my you original guys had horses. Uh, yeah, yeah. So at that time, up. we were on a farm. Yeah. Okay. With horses, race horses, and I said, well. I'm, I'm interested. I love the the racing industry. I love the horses. I'll I'll be a vet. Well, let's talk about the racehorses. So, when did your dad start breeding? Or was you was he breeding racehorses? My grandfather. Your grandfather. Okay, my so grandfather on my yeah. mom's side had racehorses. So this is all. And he was quite wealthy, so he had yeah, racehorses. My two uncles, my mother's two okay, brothers, so they had racehorses. It was kind of in the family. Can and then, you explain the like? What does it mean to have racehorses, and like how do they generate money? Can you just give a brief uh, for people who don't know? Well, let's. I would not say they generate money. No. Okay. I yeah. mean, they oh, do if point. you get lucky. Sure. Okay. So, but you don't go into the racing business thinking. You're going to make money. Okay. Interesting. With very few exceptions. I mean, there are some people like the trainers. Yeah. Or the farm managers or people that that work for somebody in the racing industry. Okay. But as an owner and a breeder of racehorses, Mm -hmm. you need a pretty good plan to make it. Okay, so to have an, an expectation of profit. So they already industry. had money then. Exactly. It's people who already have money who can buy racehorses. The ra- the racing industry is 80% people who are wealthy from previous yeah. occupations so and how far, enterprises yeah. and then there's another there's a 20% that struggle. So how far how far back can we drill down where did the original wealth come from? My is grandfather there, on there, my mother's side. And is there a specific like industry or like thing? He was in trucking industry. Trucking. And did he build like a company? Yeah, yeah. He had maybe one of the, maybe 
the biggest trucking company in Canada. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so, this, and then my both my uncles, my yeah. mother's brothers, got into that. So, yeah. so did this wealth trickle down to your dad? Then? No. No, not at all. He got zero. Interesting. How yeah. how does that how does that work? Because when my grandfather died, my mother and her two brothers were the beneficiaries of yes. his estate. Okay. And they were already in the business. Okay. And my mother wasn't. Yes. So she said. So this is your mom's. The, mo- the mom's brothers dad. will get the business. Yeah. yeah. And she just stayed out of it. Okay. And so turned the business over to them. You know, you wonder like. If there's a, a chain of wealth, it you know does it end right? No, no, it kind of ended and there. And it kind of ended there yeah. for your mom, but your your uncles, so your mom's brothers, yeah, they they got more of a. I they got the business. Would you say? I don't want to say free ride. Uh, do you feel like they they, they got, got the an easier life? Bigger, better end of, of the stick. Better end of the stick. Yeah. But your mom. We which, who we haven't talked about. No, but she. Was I mean, she there was no need for was the money. My dad was doing well? fine. No, she nope. never worked. She worked as a very young woman, sure. pre-kids, kind of. And, and of course, we're talking about a different generation as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Exactly. And so that was the norm. Is, that, that was the that norm. definitely that was the norm standard. at this yeah. time. Yeah. So, yeah, so no money coming down, but, um, and we got into this because of racehorses. You were hanging out with your uncles who had the racehorses? Oh, I followed their, and your their grand- racehorse and your stuff, and then my dad got into it, hanging out with my mother. They yeah. were at the racetrack all the time. Okay. okay. With my grandfather. Yeah, okay. So yeah. He, he knew about this business. And now back to the fact that it doesn't really make you money. What's what's no, the it's draw? A passion. It's, it's a, a passion. passion. Okay. Yeah. It's a passion. For me, it's a passion. I think for wealthy people, mm-hmm. there's different drivers. Okay. Like one is just for some, it's a passion for them too. They want a Kentucky Derby winner. They sure. they want the profile. Or they status. want the status. Is there a status. Yeah. And then for others, and I know you know I have lots of friends in the industry. Sure. Many who are quite wealthy. Yeah. And they are in it because of the networking. Because okay. there's other wealthy people in there, and they network, and they make connections, and there's all that. But I th- really think you have to love the industry, and you have to love racing. And Interesting, yeah. Raising horses, it's challenging, and it's exciting. And, and you wanted to, this is what you wanted to do, maybe become yeah. a vet and then go back So that's what was my original horses. motivation, yeah. was to be a vet so that I could be in that industry. Because it's what you knew, is what you, you yeah. liked. Yeah, exactly. And Guelph is probably a, a, one of the best places for agriculture. That's the only vet school. University of Guelph, Ontario. only vet school in Ontario. Yeah. Okay, I didn't yeah. realize. And the being in agriculture is kind of your traditional way yes. into vet. You take animal science. And okay, so you you did that? Yeah, but I didn't. I did not continue with the vet. Okay, so you studies. got your you got a bachelor's degree. I got a bachelor's in agriculture. agriculture. Yeah, just and like then, it's a general agriculture yeah, degree. Animal science. A- animal science. And then I did uh, a master's in agricultural economics. I did apply after my second year to vet school. I see. And Most people don't get in after your second year. I see. But I said oh, I'll give it a shot if I get in after my second year. Great. And you didn't. And I didn't, which is normal. Not many do. Yeah. Were you disappointed? That I didn't get in? Yeah. At the time, probably after that second year, I was probably disappointed. But after that, and once I graduated, like at my bachelor's degree, I didn't, I had lost the motivation to be a vet. I, yeah. I didn't really want it anymore. Because, yeah. you know, you said you're not driven by money. And uh, so like this, you know, being a vet is, I, I don't know if there's a lot of money. In no, it. in not the really, vet right? industry, I thought there was. Yeah, or just but decent. the more I was exposed to it, and for a couple of summers there, I did hang around able the to. local vet okay. for a while, like yeah. for a couple of weeks, just to see what it was like. Yeah, and it kind of just struck me as nah. 
Okay, so like if I'm going to stay involved in the horses, I'll be an owner. I'll own the own odd little racehorse or something. But agricultural but. economics, which to me means farming, was there an end goal then for you said masters? No, I was. I did not have a grand plan. No, okay, at all, yeah. ever. Yeah, it was kind of like <laughs> really, so. This is none of this was like you guys weren't in finance or anything. You weren't talking about economics a lot. Your dad probably had a line on certain trends here and there to be able to have successful. Oh businesses. yeah, but no, he but was a, he a was a businessman, scale. not an economist, it's his micro. not a. Like yeah. biz, small business, yeah. which is, I guess his would be small to medium no, no, exactly. size business. Yeah, small. This is microeconomics. And so you're studying agricultural economics like, I was it on a global scale or a national scale that you would Both, be? Both, yeah. or even smaller. I mean, And so like uh, I feel like uh, the almanac comes in here somehow, like being able to predict uh, uh, you know, certain trends. Some of that. That kind of stuff. There were some stuff like that. And yeah, because agriculture versus no, no, just general exactly. economics. There, there were, this was stuff like modeling price trends. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you, in hindsight, actually, if somebody was telling you they were going into that now, where would they end up typically at a job like teaching uh, economics? Up, well, sure. If you get a PhD or something, you could yeah. be teaching okay. economics. You, as I did, ended up in development okay, because so agriculture is a big mm, driver around in developing world. countries. I mean, yeah. Okay. Most, most developing countries are dependent on their agricultural sector. So you could, Government. Yeah, so you know, government is where you... That's where I started. Okay, so you get your master's. Are you working, are you working at all during this time? To try, do you need to be making any money during this? No. Is, Again, yeah. I'd, be, I'd go back. On this, in the summers? Yeah, in the summers, go back home. There is some privilege here in the story, totally. right? And I want to... Because a lot of people... They need uh, Ontario assistance, OSAP. No, no, that's probably the first the time. time I would have recognized that yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate here. Yeah. You, is like, at school because I had no concerns about money at school. But maybe some of your friends Oh, did. exactly. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. Because so I could see it around me, yeah. but it didn't affect me. And, yeah. and yeah, it's like, you know, if you have money, some people are driven by money because they have money or because they don't have money either way. And you weren't. Do you remember ever having a scarcity moment? Was there anything? No. So Never. And so, I can even remember yeah. another kind of money moment that sticks out. Mm, yeah, is please. After my fourth year, yeah. my dad said, if you want to go back, if you still want to go to vet school, yeah. and it's going to take another four years, yeah. don't worry about it. Oh, he said that to yeah, you. Yeah, you're covered. And he said, even, he said, if you've met some woman, I had a girlfriend at the time, if you met some <laughs> woman, you want to get married, don't worry about it. Like, like she, like we'll cover the costs. We'll the get you through this. No, or or the you, like Just, you can do all that. Yeah. Yeah. You can still go to school. That is, and like, that's so nice. But I didn't want to. And, and no, know. but to like, and do you remember how that made you feel? Like, oh yeah. Just like, no, no, I'm well, free. Yeah. Like, I'm free to make the decisions I want to make without having to worry about baggage around money. That's and right. Finance and, yeah. yeah. And, and it's such a, um, it's, it feels like such a rare thing these days. I guess it depends you know? what your background you're coming from and the the demographic cohort that you're yeah. hanging around with is if most That's of your a, friends are but privileged you, but, like you, then you don't of, see it. A see. lot of your friends were not, right? At at university anyway. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so No, and a lot of my friends in high school were not. Yeah. Did you feel like because I just I did just listen to a uh, a great podcast episode where they talked to someone who's uh you know, trust fund kid and mm-hmm. she was a teacher. But she had to hide all of her privilege because people are like, is teaching a hobby for you? Oh, yeah. No, no. I you know, I, like, is that something that you ever ran into? Uh, would people be like, I oh, never noticed that. Like so, the silver spoon uh, thing? No. I so, mean, I know my friends 
considered our family amongst my high school friends yeah. to kind of be the best, most well off sure. of my kind of group. But there was nothing in your face about it or yeah. resentment. Okay, or, so if you were driving around in like super fancy cars and no, you know, no, flying in private that. jets, no, that no, would have no. been a little extra. That you were just able, I never got a car just, until yeah. I graduated. Okay, it was so, like my graduation present, and it was like a six thousand dollar Plymouth yeah. Horizon or Omni or something, whatever sure. they, they were. <laughs> but see, what I like about this is that you you had an advantage, but you didn't take advantage, right? That's like, no, true. that's the, that's the biggest difference. I, Cause like you hear about people who become lazy, oh, they abuse it. And they abuse basically. it. Basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. or they become gaudy and flashy and yeah, you know, exactly. Just, <laughs> so you have this degree in economics now and, and, uh, or masters in, mm-hmm. in agricultural economics. You, you don't have to worry about anything. Well, you don't even really have any of your own money though right now. Oh, right? no, no. I don't have any money. So you don't have <laughs> nothing. You don't have. So that's, that's another interesting. I started thing to worry after I got graduated. <laughs> it's in like, my... I'm thinking you don't actually have any money. No, but you like he'll take care of this or that. But if you were like, I, but want, I didn't have to worry about it. You didn't have to worry about it. But if you wanted to, I don't I want to go on a trip or I want to do something that I mean, your dad seems pretty easy going. Oh, yeah. But maybe he had a line somewhere and. But it's not. Maybe he never did have a line for you. But you would never. But ask I to never cross pushed it. the. You never exactly. pushed the line. Yeah, I never pushed it. So I don't know where his line was. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Because <laughs> my never, sister might have a better idea. Yeah, she might have pushed the line, <laughs> yeah. right? And he sounds like he maybe put his foot down yeah. at a time or two. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, my other brother. Okay. Yeah. My one brother, he he never pushed that line either because he was totally independent. Okay. Like so he, he was like my dad. A he didn't want kind to rely, of an entrepreneur, a go You weren't reliant, reliant on him. Yeah. But you realized, well, first of all, you don't have any money. So yeah. <laughs> you like you can only make so much at that age and, and go to school. Like but also you probably you would have made your own money if you had to, if your dad sure. would have been so generous. Although I remember worrying when I graduated, like, oh my God. Yeah. Now I got to get like a real job. Well, what if on you, my own? Yeah, and, and you. <laughs> so how did that work? Did, did they were they still coming to universities to recruit at this time? I remember that yeah. was more of a thing where you could go to a job. No, fair no, they and were. Kind of get they a had job. a job fair every for yeah. like graduating class. So you could go and interview and stuff. Yeah. What did you? Is that where you got your first job? No, because I was fixated on this horse thing. Yes, and that was kind of still, still okay. Still, and that's there, part of the reason that, I went into okay. agricultural economics. Yes, to, to continue is part of the economics of the horse racing industry, mm. and I wanted to work on that, and that's what I did. My like thesis, or you know, okay. masters. It's not a dissertation, but thesis. So you're still there. I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. So I was interested in horses, and I was looking at the taxation issues in horse racing too, and sure. stuff like that. So then, when I graduated. And again, this is probably due to privilege. Mm, yep. I had a straight line to the Minister of Agriculture. Amazing. And I just went into his office and started talking to him because he knew my dad. He knew okay, our so farm. The, he knew exactly where I lived. But it's not and, like, and you know, I we're acknowledging privilege, but we're also defending hard work at the same time. Because what happens is we don't have the conversation about privilege because we feel sometimes like it diminishes our hard work. So I want to acknowledge both. No, no. So and you you did this. You did your master's. It wasn't like you no, know, no, exactly. And you. and yeah. I actually applied independently for a position at Windsor Raceway. Okay, which was a pretty big racetrack. Sure, you know, outside of Toronto, it was the biggest one because yeah. it drew from Detroit. Okay, so it had a big population base, and 
I also then went to see the Minister of Agriculture and I sat down in his office and yeah. talked to him and convinced him that Agriculture Canada has almost minimal relations with the horse industry. Really? That it's big industry, employs X number of people. Yeah. It generates so many revenue because a lot, at the time, about 7% of all the bets placed at every racetrack went to the government as a tax. Okay. And so it's pretty lucrative. For yeah, the I guess so. Right? And yeah. I said, and you do nothing for the industry. Like you have all these programs in dairy and pork and all the other stuff. Yeah. And the horse industry employs just as many people, maybe more. And it creates more green space than maybe these other farms. And yet it's ignored. So then I convinced him that you need to do more with the horse industry. Okay. So I said, okay, we'll give you a job and you figure it out you do that. what we should do. Okay, so that's the horse where you industry. got started. Yeah. And then, but that didn't last for very long. Oh, okay. So I set up this thing, the Canadian Horse Council, and we had a few meetings oh, yes. about, you know, what does the industry need from the government? Yeah. And it didn't get much traction. I mean, there's a lot of demands, you know, and I just moved into the kind of mainstream but you're in the government, government now. Yeah, mainstream government. So you use this Johnson. new idea in a way to get into the government infrastructure yeah. and then you moved in. What was your next position? So after that, we're going way back, right? Yeah, way back. It was <laughs> Can you just for perspective, can we get a, a date? What's the date now you're starting? So I graduated you're in, your 20s? in 79 within So this is the we're in the 80s then. So now we're in early 80s. Okay, okay. Early 80s when I joined the government 81 or 82 or Bo something. Bo just joined the world. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> you were just born and I'm just starting out in my career. So you're in Ottawa. Working for the government because that's where you had. But when yeah, you yeah. did the horse council thing, you did you in have Ottawa. to move to Ottawa? Okay, so in you Ottawa. had to move to Ottawa. So, I moved though, to Ottawa. so that's when you left Windsor, and now you're moving out east. Yeah. Anything really different about that versus like living close to close to the border versus living in Ottawa? Well, I thought I'd that's, move to the North Pole. Yeah, climate wise, the, the, the cold. Holy <laughs> and you're I mean, not Windsor is very. Uh, yeah, it is. Essex County is quite. Well, on Temperate. Mo most of Southern with Ontario the lake effect and everything. is in and the United States, basically, in yeah. terms of the parallel. Like, oh, all of Canada is straight across except for that. No, it's like the same as Northern California. Yeah, so, exactly. In terms of the latitude. And it's funny, Ottawa is not even, like, I never consider it to be Northern Ontario. No, Northern, I know. You know? <laughs> but I seriously, like, I thought it moved to the North Pole. It was so freaking cold. <laughs> but you can skate on the Rito. Oh, yeah, but uh, not in that And you weather. have, what not is it, that Winterfest? What is it called? Is it called Winterfest? The Winterlude. Winterlude. Yeah. You go. See, yeah. I just to test to see if you're actually from <laughs> Ottawa. <Yeah. laughs> so, so you're there, and is uh, is that where you met Lori? Yeah, we met in June of '83, and we're married in May of '84. Yeah. So, what's your role uh, at this point? Uh, say when you got married. Let's just go with '84. So, when we got married, I think after this horse thing, I became what's called the chief registration officer. Okay. <laughs> So that's responsible for yeah. the actual application yeah. of this weird thing called the Animal Pedigree Act. Okay. So, you know, your dogs get registered and they get papers. Sure. And cows get registered and they get papers and you keep track of all the lineage. I didn't know about the cows, but that sounds right. No, no, every I, animal. I, every animal in Canada. Well, everywhere. purebred pedigreed animal okay. is registered with a, a number and a tattoo and or an identification can so you, that they can keep track of their pedigree in order to improve the breed. Can you define pedigree for the lay people? It means you know who your father, the father of that animal was, you know who the mother was, you know who all the grandparents. You, you track just, lineage. You track an exactly. It's like an ancestry of every animal that in Canada. At all. Every there's an an, there's a purebred family registered. tree for 
animals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why this is so it's crazy. Way better, me. better organized way than better people. Than people. <laughs> <laughs> because of, of safety reasons. Or, no, or because you why? want to improve the breed. So you're trying oh, to, okay. like this sire or this yeah. father, you know, he produced cows that produced a lot of milk, let's yeah. say. Like and so then you keep track or, of the mother and you want to know, does she come from a family with a lot of milk? And you want to keep... I, don't, I grew up in near farmland of most of my life. This is blowing my mind. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why. I didn't so, know any of this. Yeah, wow. yeah. So there was an act, a Cana- an act of parliament sure. that regulated this. Okay. And, and you, you were there so to... So I was in charge of this. Uh, register Applic- the new animals or the... So there were associations for Holsteins and Guernseys and Jerseys yeah. and... All the different breeds. Holsteins are the black and white ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For all the different breeds of animals. Yes. Pigs, horses, cattle, okay. everything. Beef mostly cattle, farm, but also there's racehorses as well? And racehorses. Yeah. yeah. But mostly farm. And fa- horses. Mostly far- and, yeah. I mean, the big thing was... was Animals, farm yes. animals, and of yeah. course uh, there are horses for equestrian riding, no, no, exactly. and horses for. Yeah. Uh, so those are all pedigree. A lot of people still well. use They're horses. Yeah. Okay. So all registered. Eighty yeah. percent of the the headaches and the problems were with the dogs, just because people, you know, a farm animal is just a business asset. Yeah. Dogs are like dogs your are kids. Yeah, dogs are. <laughs> So That's if anything true. anything goes wrong with your dog, there this is a big issue, you know. Well, what's an issue? How does an issue come up in your in your registration situation? So there was one where this gentleman called and he said, "There's this cow who's being shown in these shows because this is big money." Yeah. You, you okay. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cow shows. And I mean it all goes back basically to their milk production. And so they think cows that look better and have better structure and better size okay. and mass and whatnot, they can produce more milk. So the, the better quality of animal you have, the more milk it produces, your bottom line goes up. Okay. Right. So they said, this guy, this, this cow's winning all these prizes. And I, he, the guy says, I know it's fake. It's not the real cow is assigned that pedigree and that number. Oh, and it just looks better or something. And it, they're, they're they, it, yeah. It. And, but they wanted this family, this pedigree line to have a champion cow. Okay. Maybe this is hard to follow. No, but. no. I, I, the, so like, they put in a replace, they put in a, a they said that <laughs> this, this really awesome. good looking cow. This is awesome. Is That's actually amazing. from this family. And it wasn't. Wow. And so, there and you can like, test this through blood test, DNA test. Okay. Right? So you, you would then have to investigate this? Yeah. So then so then we said, okay, we'll look at this up. And so we did a little bit of investigation ourselves and looked like, oh, the guy might be onto something here. Yeah. Because we, we made up an excuse that we were there just checking tattoo numbers. Yeah. And just this is a routine. Ran Rant, Exactly. Yeah. And we noticed that all the tattoos were done in the last week. Whoa. Like they should have been done. Whenever. Over yeah. the last five years. Yeah. And they were all recently done. So the guy clearly had not been wow. properly tattooing his animals. And so there was room now for mix-ups. Okay. Or for playing around. Yeah, so there's, more, there's room to, now there's, there's evidence room to, manipulate. to investigate further. Exactly. So then we called the RCMP. So the RCMP. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, the RCMP so for, checks this out. If there's any non-Canadians listening, this is like calling the FBI. And, yeah, yeah. 
because this this is liable to fines and penalties. And, because okay, you know. uh, no, I'm I'm really <laughs> drilling down on this. This too is much. not very finance no, no, personal no, finance. But it, no, but it is. It, this is this is about the reasons. Uh, you know, for this is people's personal finance. Yeah, right? yeah. This is their their business. This is their livelihood. How much? For sure. How much would this cow be worth? Oh, these, these cows people? can be worth. Fifty hundred thousand dollars, like over the course of their their lifetime. No, if you were to sell an animal, oh, so like that. he like if something was this valuable and produced this because they're going to try to use it to breed more. Exactly, and okay. what's ha- what, so it's really worth it to to fake this. Exactly, because what happens in the cattle industry, which you can't do in like the racehorse industry, yeah. the third racehorse industry, that cow can't just have one baby a year. Okay, they can. They can have a, super ovulate and take the embryos out of that cow and how get o- how often like every cycle and how, like how long is this well you know like once for, a month like for uh, yeah, like a, fe- once a, a female a month. cycle yeah. yeah okay and they could take, cows are like us and they can ovulate <laughs> They're mammals. And they could end up having several eggs ovulate in a single of cycle I don't know why I'm thinking them of not as not mammals no no the yeah, yeah. same thing as us okay yeah. so and then they take those and they put them in surrogate cows. The surrogate cow is really irrelevant because the genetics all come from the the egg. So your your degree in agricultural economics or masters has prepared you for this. Oh, kind of. Because yeah, yeah. this is this is this is what we're talking about. This is the money of farming, but also big farming. This is really fascinating. And you do this for how long? How long are you the registration? Oh, uh, for maybe three years or something. Three years. Yeah. And and you just keep moving up in the Canadian government. So then I, and this also is reflective of not money, not being a driver. Yeah. So then Lori, my wife, decided, ah, this is boring. Let's do something more interesting. Like just get out of Ottawa, you mean? Not out of Ottawa, but she wanted to travel. She, you know, Lori, she's a huge traveler. Sure. She just back from Croatia last week. So Lori wants to get out. So she says, why don't you apply for the foreign service? And become a foreign service officer. This is just something that you could do. Or she was looking into it. No, she just <laughs> said, why don't you look into that? It'd okay. be a fun, fun career sure. to travel around the yeah. world and be a diplomat. And Interesting. So I did. It's nice to have buy-in from both of you. Like, you know, yeah. if you were just like, I got to go to another country. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but she was the instigator, so that exactly. was nice. Because then you could be working. And she was like, yes, let's do this. Yeah. Right? No, and I had already had a, was on a fairly steep career path at agriculture Canada like yeah. all my because then I after the chief registration officer I got another promotion and a higher level job and all my colleagues at my level yeah were in their 50s so how are you and I was like in my 20s how are you getting these you, you just knew your stuff yeah the, I just did everyone did a have a master's and, in economics no and that's the thing these older guys didn't necessarily have masters they were old degrees. school and they, at that time it's not like today no, where to get Everybody any job, has you need a, a master's. So yeah. you had a bit of an advantage there, sure. And also being young and and uh, well, you're not driven by money, but you're you seem to be driven by improving things. What was your drive? What would you say? Like even today, there's a drive today, for you still doing. You're probably what you're doing today. It's more trying to make a difference in some of these countries yeah, I work in. But you don't feel like that which was is it very then? difficult and is somewhat frustrating. So yeah, I'm not sure if I you would definitely say I'm not sure if I'm making. <laughs> that happened, <laughs> but but with that drive is what keeps you trying. Yeah, to and do you make it. these little 
you can see these little differences that sure. you make, which is about all you can expect. You're but not going to transform the world or transform one of these countries overnight, but you can make steady progress. I guess you need to keep that perspective in yeah, your head exactly. too, otherwise you would be really oh no, and that happens to people lot. in this business. I mean, they just say, "I'm banging my head against this wall for the last thirty years. I quit." Let's jump ahead quickly, just briefly, and we'll come back. Can you tell us exactly what it is you do at the World Bank? I handle our like what we call our direct budget support loans okay. to these countries. So there's probably three main tasks. So one is I manage these big loans to these countries. And this is this is money that just goes straight into their budget. Yeah. It's not to build a power plant. It's not to build a dam. It's not to build a road or a school. Okay. or It's just to um, support their budget. But they ask the World Bank for money? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they need it just for general. They just stuff. need it to. They've it's got a not, hole they, in their budget. They don't have a plan. You know, they're de- they're running a deficit of three or four percent of GDP. Yeah, and they need to plug this hole. Or their their country is going to collapse or something like something's really going. to... Yeah, happen. or their debt will get become unsustainable. Okay, yeah. You know, they ask the bank for money, and we say, okay, we'll consider this, but you need to fix this, this, and this in terms of policy reforms. Sure. So. The reason why they're not doing so well is maybe because no, exactly. they're not because, doing so well with human beings. <laughs> have bad policies. And yes. Economic policies, social policy, all, all, all about. Social, taxation, public financial management. They're, they're they don't spend sh- enough on education, shambles. health. You know, these are. This is like, is this their places. last, like their final straw is to ask the World Bank for money? Like, is this a last resort for them or is it just. The, for the Part countries the I work in, yeah. which tend to be the poorest of the poor, yeah, yeah, we're really the only—I shouldn't say we—development institutions. Yeah, the World Bank. So the uh, bank, well, the IMF, IMF. Yeah, okay, International Monetary Fund. Uh, bilateral donors like Canada might give money. The and U.S. Are, might give money. These organizations are in place for this specific reason. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Uh, to give money to people, spread money around the world where it's needed. So that the world economy is sustained, is that a, to reduce poverty? To reduce poverty. That's the that's not, the not, MO. Yeah. That's the, really the IMF a, has a slightly different one, but the bank is for poverty reduction, okay, and equitable economic growth. Okay, so know. and you don't have to name the country if it's not oh, no, it's appropriate, fine. but like so you pick pick the country. And so like I yeah. m- most eighty percent of my time is in Haiti now. We give loans, sorry, we give grants to Haiti. Yeah, okay. because they're so poor. That yes. we don't want yeah. to increase their debt load, they would have trouble paying it back. So, so it's grants. You actually just give them the money. We give them the money, but in exchange meet... for policy reform. The other thing is that I would provide them with policy dialogue and advice. Okay. So they would say, "Helping them reform." We, yeah, yeah, we need help in improving our customs administration. Sure, there's leakages. Yeah, we're not getting the money we should out of customs. There's fraud. People there's are bringing guns and drugs contraband. And all there's yeah. all kinds of stuff. Sure. You know, we've got leaky customs, and okay. we could get four percent more of GDP if we plug in revenues. Holes. If we plug these, holes. and you have best practices from yeah. So from then the, we the would US? we would bring them from where from the U.S. Like you're able no, to because no because you can't. World Bank is is it a U.S. Uh, entity? No, no, no. Okay, World Bank just happens to be located here in D.C. because the U.S. is its largest shareholder. But you are a private company. No, no, it's, we're an international Sorry. financial Sorry. institution. But I mean, not governmental. Uh, <laughs> oh, is we're that... an international financial institution. So the governments of the world, oh, the countries I, of the I world, see. own the World Bank. But no one. The U.S. Own, has seventeen percent. Canada has like two point four percent. Okay. 
No. So they all own it. There's no majority shareholder. No, no, no. Everyone no. gets a vote on what is done. Well, everybody votes in proportion to their yes. capital yeah, stake just, in the bank. So it's like a, a public corporation. Yeah, kind of. But only governments can own the shares? Right. Interesting. And we can only lend to government. Okay, I you know, I uh, before I'd never asked you the question. I thought it was a US uh no, no, entity no. and that they just kind of sent uh, so the, around the world. So the okay. World Bank. I mean, it is called the World Bank. The World Bank, the IMF, <laughs> yeah, and the United Nations. They were all created at the same time at the Bretton Woods Conference. Okay, okay. Right after World War II. So the World Bank was created to rebuild Europe after the Second World ah, War. Ah, that's the timing. Okay. So it was originally it still is called the the official name is the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development. That's what it's called. Yeah. And they just shortened it. And yeah, yeah. It's just the <laughs> moniker now this is the World Bank. But once that kind of chore of rebuilding Europe yeah. was done, yeah. then they said, well, what do we do with this institution and all the money and capital it has? Yeah. And then they switched like in the 60s, late 50s, 60s to, well, let's do the same thing for developing countries and that's, get them up and awesome. running and make get them yeah you know out of their difficult situations. So you have best practices from your awesome people that work at the World Bank that know how to Right, so we countries. the bank has yeah, it's about 16,000 employees and yeah. we have experts in everything. Yeah, okay. So like so, I said, if so if they needed let's say Haiti needs yeah. help in customs reform, we I organize our customs people to come help them. Yes. And to help and to provide what we call technical assistance or analytical and advisory services to give them ways out of it to, to solve this problem they might have. So for Haiti, you're giving them grants. What would be frustrating about uh, that? Just because you can't, they're not, it's not making a dent? Well, it's not just Haiti. It's any of the countries yeah, we work in. It, the issue is you need to do this reform and there's all kinds of political economy so, issues and constraint exactly okay and so, it's not necessarily the government resisting no anytime you bring in a policy reform whether it's here haiti africa any canada u.s there's going to be resistance because it's going to upset the apple cart they and somebody's like going to yeah, exactly somebody's going to be hurt by this even though they're in shambles and you're giving them money and they're asking for your help even even that it still is going to take a while for them to put this stuff in place. Sure. And e like as I said, even if the government recognizes, yes, we have to do this. Yeah. For example, the people that now benefit from leaky customs. Of course. At the border. They're going to resist. Are going to resist. Yeah. And these can be very, very powerful lobbies and very powerful individuals. And they can't trust that this is a better way. Like well, they, it's they not in their self-interest for for them to well, now have to pay gonna, yeah. duties on their imports, of course, because they weren't paying them before. So and they're actually not going to get any benefit from you helping the country. The country's going to benefit, maybe exactly. the other people, but not these people who are involved in the, right. the illegal activities. So it, it's it can become frustrating okay. because there is always resistance to reform. Yeah, and you have to try to figure out what are the political economy constraints. Where's the resistance going to come from? How can you maybe beat back that resistance a little bit? How can you assuage, you know, some of that resistance yeah. and get this reform through? And that's challenging. Okay, I just wanted to jump ahead just to yeah. <laughs> talk about that a little bit because it does kind of tell us that you've done good with your privilege. And it started, the journey started with you joining the Foreign Service. Exactly. So, so I joined the development stream 
of the Foreign Service, which is working with developing countries. Okay. And delivering Canada's development assistance okay, to so these countries. Okay, so Canada has a sort of a World Bank fund, as you Canada has CETA. Yeah, CETA. CETA. Okay, so you were for CETA. I remember that Agency, now, yeah. Which has now been subsumed under um, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Okay. So CETA doesn't exist Okay, anymore. so they had a separate organization mm-hmm. just for developing countries and helping yep. them. And that at that time meant you would move to that country or whatever country. There's there's positions in Ottawa where you're managing things from there. And then there's, there's positions. Local. I guess you always local, need a local yeah, person. In the field. Right? In yeah, the field. Yeah, so people you, in the field. So you got a job as a field person. So uh, we were in Ottawa for a couple of years with CETA. And then we got transferred, moved. Whatever opportunity. Whatever, you, it was Zimbabwe. your decision or did uh, they just say you're going here? No, no. That's part of the, the deal. Yeah. As a foreign service officer, you're expected to You're move ready around. to move around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you knew, and, and did, did you know how long this was going to last? You could always just stop working for CETA. Oh, it was, want... at the time, it was going to be my career. Okay. My so that career. was it. So you're like, we're going to move around. Yeah. Uh, Lori loves it. She made the yeah. decision, basically. You're cool with it. Yeah. Right? Everybody's happy. You're, <laughs> you're yeah. moving but around. But the, the way this all started was, I was going to say, is not being driven by money yeah. because I had this fairly steep career trajectory in Ag Canada and joining the Foreign Service, I started right at the bottom. Okay. Like like right at the bottom. That, that was the thing. And, and if you would so have been more driven by money. more than in half. But at this point, uh, okay, so are we, th- are we saying what? How many years before you joined? Like, is it eight, six years or more? I joined seed in 87. Okay. So and I think I joined the Canadian government in 81. Yeah. Okay. So six years or so. Yeah. And... Now you're making money, and and are you able to? Are you an awesome saver? To like you? with Ag Canada? Yeah, when like when there? you were just working and and uh, no, and I wouldn't say that. I we were so flush with yeah. money that I was saving. But you're putting and, it away, or are you just no keeping up with we, your costs? We had a you bought a house. I had had a house. You had a prior house. to getting married. Okay, a farm because I had my horses there. Oh, well, in Windsor? No, no, no. In oh, you bought a property. I had okay. bought a property, a farm nice. property in Ottawa. And, and it was it like something you could buy yourself, or you had like a mortgage, or oh yeah, I had a mortgage. Of yeah, course. okay, yeah. But it, and and this is small, eighties expensive. Mortgage rates are high in the eighties, though. Oh, my <laughs> first car loan was twenty one percent, twenty one percent. And did you? But did you benefit from the savings rates being high too at some point? Uh, well, yeah, of course. Boat? That's all relative, right? Yeah. Your savings but, rate. But I, yeah, I didn't have savings. I had to borrow no, money so you for were a car. Borrowing, and by the time you had savings, were you, was it still high? Like, well, there remember? was a period there where it was kind of uh, shaky in the sense that inflation was crazy. Yeah. So I'm paying twenty one percent on my car, <laughs> and my mortgage wasn't that bad. Mortgage rates were still reasonable. What, reasonable, like, and like I 10%? think I think that yeah, probably something like that. Yeah, but then the Canadian government threw in a wage freeze. Okay. To try to control inflation. Oh, and, and that's you. So, so now I'm paying twenty one percent, and you're not getting an increase, and I'm not getting any not cost of living raises. increase, even. Yeah. To keep up with, in- now I was getting raises because I was being promoted. So but you got my that. standards, yeah. you're the base, the so salary. They, so scale you have high, not- <laughs> it's high interest rates. <laughs> Yeah. So there's really no focus on like building up a retirement fund. Do they have RSPs at this time? Is there? Is that been created? I feel RSPs. like um, I've never had an RSP in my life. Oh, really? Okay, because yeah. you. Oh, that's a, we should talk about that. Right. So we bought a farm, and then being married and whatnot, it yeah. was not ideal to be out in the boonies, out in the rural okay. areas. So we sold, that. sold the farm and. 
bought an apartment complex. Okay. Down, four unit apartment complex. Downtown and we lived down right downtown in the market. Yeah. And we lived in one of those units and rented out the other. How many units? Four. Four. So you yeah. so you have multi multiplex or multi unit yeah. Uh, yeah, apartment yeah. as your first investment. Exactly. Pro- and we investment lived there property. And it. So it paid for itself, I'm guessing. Oh yeah. Was it easy to, to say, like, how much down payment would you have needed for this? Or did the, did the farm okay, well, pay that for it? Was <laughs> did you get that down payment money? So, kind of. Okay. Yeah. It was... It's good to talk I about I didn't this. get it from, like, my dad or Yeah, anything, sure. But my grandfather, okay. the trucker yes. guy, for each grandkid, he bought whatever was, like, a thousand shares of Hiram Walker's. Because Hiram Walker oh, is in Windsor, in Windsor. Right? yeah, yeah. And so he, right by the and train he just station. put it away. Okay. And Back so in when, like a long time? Well, like when I was born. He, he bought, bought you a thousand, okay. Yeah. So you so got this benefit? 24 years later, however old I was, yeah. I said, well, I'll just cash that in and use that as a down payment for this apartment complex. Yeah. That's what I did. Okay, amazing. Yeah. You use it for good, again. Well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> to build your future. <laughs> But uh, but it was a gift. You know, people get gifts and they squander their gifts. Oh, no, right? no for sure. So th- this for is sure. important to talk about. And, and I knew it was there and since I was 16. Yeah. And I just left it alone. Interesting. So you let it grow even more. Or was I guess it was growing. Was yeah, but it was not growing. Super, super. It wasn't like some. Do you remember how much it was? Can you say? I think by then it was maybe 35 grand or something. So that's a, probably you a know. nice down payment for this uh, four Exactly, parks. exactly. And plus we had sold the farm. And then plus the farm. So there was a little bit of equity there that so got you, transferred So you had a, probably a smallish mortgage then. Not smallish. No, okay, because it was a four-unit four price. Yeah. Okay, so you had this mortgage, but the... But the rents all covered it. The rent, and now people talk about rental properties as being a, a job. Did you find it to be a job? Did you find the maintenance to be uh, hard work? The, the not the maintenance or the because tenants? it was an old heritage home okay. that somebody the guy had completely renovated oh i see okay. and when he had renovated it a builder a yeah. developer when he had renovated it i shouldn't say a developer like a builder independent guy mm-hmm. once he had renovated it he put it on the market and so we were the first ones to buy it after the renovation so okay. it was in perfect shape so like, perfect good to go yeah but the tenants were they oh were there were some hassles you know there was always issues and you know, we had one tenant. I think that was there for like ten years. She was great. And you and the you others move though moved quite often. So you buy this, you live in it for a couple of years, and we only lived in it for yeah three years or four years. And, and then, then you we move, buggered off to Zimbabwe. So you yeah. keep you keep. <laughs> so we gave it to a a rental a property manager, a local company. property manager, and also rented your unit out. Yeah. Too. So then we were renting. All so four. you now have this property, still paying the mortgage with the rent, and you you hired somebody to take care of it locally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you take this placement in Harare, Zimbabwe. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the standard of living for you then in Zimbabwe. Oh, you get there versus ridiculous how it is for locals. So oh yeah, they bring you over there and you got this what compound? Well, we've got a full acre property, totally yeah. walled property, secure. Like, really, it's got to be really nice safe. Gardens, because it's not safe for you. People, no, no, there were, we had guards. Yeah, so at guards. The, at the gates and did it feel weird to to well, be I'd never in that? Live like that? No, yeah. no one, no, no one in Canada. <laughs> no, but it didn't feel weird. Have. I mean, everybody else did it. That was there. All of our that was just, our cohort our, yeah. did it. And, and so, what's your work like there? Are you meeting with uh, the Zimbabwean officials? So actually, 
we were, uh, we were based in Zimbabwe, yeah. but I was responsible for Zambia. Okay, Zambia. Okay. And I also had like a townhouse in Zambia. So when I went up there, I stayed in a townhouse there. Did you buy it? No, 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 no. This they, is they all, all these are provided by the government. Okay, so when these, you're the, like, this, this was government CETA housing. stuff. This CETA this, house. You're living in there. You don't have to yeah, worry about it. Exactly. You're making money. You're not making money. Well, you might be. But we have to pay point. rent. You have to pay rent. You have to you still have to pay rent. Okay. Yeah. So they because the Canadian that. government, they know, listen, you'd have to be paying rent in Ottawa. You pay rent here. Okay. Now, a place like that, an acre property with all these gardens and pools and everything would have been way more expensive oh, sure. than we had to pay. But they realize a family of. So they charge Four you at the what time. was reasonable. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And they, the government maybe owned the property? The government did not own the property okay. we were in, but you, they do own some properties. They do own some properties. Yeah. Okay. So, the, yeah. so this was, how long did you, were you in Zimbabwe? Four years. And the conditions of Zimbabwe at this time? Oh, uh, fantastic. Okay. So they're I mean, good. it's deteriorated seriously since then. Yeah. But, but what, so why were, you, why were you sent there at that time? Oh, it was still, it was a developing country. It's still, because de- oh, no, no, it's poor, considered poor, developing, poor, 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 poor yeah. and you're, and so, Zambia was even. Of course, you're poorer. in Zambia. I forget you're dealing with Zambia, yeah. but you're living in Zimbabwe because not safe to be in Zambia. Because Zimbabwe was CETA's what they call decentralized okay. location. Okay. So CETA managed all of Southern Africa ah. out of Zimbabwe. Okay. Yeah. So they covered Malawi, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Namibia. Lesotho, Swaziland, South Africa. And so you and Lori decided this time that you want to adopt some kids. We actually adopted a kid before we went to Zimbabwe. So you put in, you were working for CETA and you put in for adoption. You thought maybe, you didn't know where you were going to go no. yet, but you would take, if you got the adoption oh, yeah. going through, you would take the kid with you wherever exactly. you would go. Yeah, yeah. And was it just before you left, if I remember correctly? Yeah. So like what, how, we, how well, soon? We knew that going through the public adoption system is very difficult. Sure. And it takes years. Okay. You know, especially if you want a baby. Yeah, so you start. You no, know, it's ridiculous. Start early. Years and years. So, yeah. no, so we said, oh, listen, there's we have another a very option. short window here. Oh. So we, can, we have to go to private. Oh, so how. I do, can't even remember. How does that work? What agency we went through. There's private agencies. That's, you can do that now? Even? Oh, yeah, I think yeah, okay. so. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So some, like expectant mothers yeah don't want their children going through the, the public system okay so they make an arrangement with a private adoption agency they're usually i think they're usually like nonprofits or yeah. some kind of charitable organization like vetted in some way yeah exactly like exactly respected and yeah, yeah. so we knew we had this very short window because you have to have six months of like approval, they come and they check okay, you out yeah. and make you sure everything's good and settled background in. Background checked and everything. Yeah. But even after you get the child, you have six still have six months of them coming to check and do home visits and all this stuff. Okay, even if you're in Zimbabwe, that's why we had a short <laughs> window because we couldn't be in Zimbabwe. I see until after this six months. Okay, so you you got Keenan while you were still in Canada before yes. you left. It's you because you had to. We got. She was born in January. Okay, and you left. And we moved to Zimbabwe in September, October. And were you supposed to go before that, but they let no. you stay a little longer, or you just, no. it just worked, it just worked out worked that out. way? just worked out. Okay, and where did Keen come from? So she's born in Toronto. Yeah, okay. And the mother had kind of just denied her pregnancy. Oh, okay. And so she became available at the last minute with no real notice. Yeah. And because we had just, I mean, I'm telling you, we hadn't completed our home study and done finished all our arrangements the, a month earlier. The requirements. A month earlier. Yeah. And normally this still takes years. Yeah, you're waiting and the waiting. Private. Yeah, sure. you wait and wait and wait. 
But because she was mixed race, she had been turned down by four or five families. So they offered them to people that were higher on the priority list than us, who had been on the waiting list for longer. And they said said no. They said no. And then they said, well, listen, let's forget this. We know that Cal and Lori don't care about the race of the child. Yeah. Let's just go straight to them. How does it work? Do you put, like, people can put preferences? Oh, for sure. Do people want... Not just race, right? Blue eyes, blonde hair. Really? It's like... They want them to look like the mother. Is is that what people want? They want something to look like them? Listen, not not people. Some people. Yeah, some people. There are some people that have these very distinct preferences. They allow them to do that, and I suppose they still do? Yeah, I think so. I don't know why that seems so weird to me. And they want a child that's under two months, and it has to have, yeah. All these Some people might want an older child. I don't know. Some might. I no, guess no, I that's think some fo- that's yeah, adopting yeah. from a foster yeah. agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know why that's so strange to me. But you guys, you were like, we didn't care. We just want to, like, I guess you want a healthy baby. But it, either no, exactly. way, like, let's just yeah, yeah. have somebody we can take care of. So this baby was born. Keenan was born in yeah. Toronto, and nothing had been done. And so that's why they were in such a rush. So yeah. Just go straight. Cal and Lori will take this baby. We know it. Let's just go straight to them now that three or four people had turned down this child. And so then we had to rush right to Toronto because she was in the hospital. Wow. And the mother had left. So, you know? Because <laughs> I guess she would probably go into a foster system if not. I guess she would have done I don't know how like that, that works, but yeah, something yeah. like that. So you get to spend some time with her for six months in Canada. Yeah. And that's and then she's technically then Canadian, which is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, everybody's Canadian. Yeah. So you move then with her to Zimbabwe. Yeah, you know, I have to. I, I'll admit, I I thought she was from Zimbabwe for a while. Because oh. You no. have this new baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. how old am I at this point? I don't oh. even remember. Uh, well, either way, I might not have been paying in, attention. Uh, Eighty nine. Yeah. So I'm just I'm still a kid. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you have this baby, mixed race, as you said, in Zimbabwe. Yeah, you must have got her there. And then somebody explained it to me later. Uh, I I didn't get it. But while you're working in Zimbabwe and Zambia, you make the decision to adopt another kid. Yeah. So And Liam... One of those, my trips up to Zambia, Lori said, oh, why don't you just check it out? Because Zimbabwe, we couldn't adopt it in Zimbabwe. Okay. Because Zimbabwe had more tents... Not tense. There weren't major racial problems at the time we were there. Oh, okay. But there was still this issue between the races. So whites Mm. couldn't adopt, really. Wow, interesting. In Zimbabwe. Okay. Very, very difficult. Hmm. So Lori said, oh, just check it out when next time you go up to Zambia. Yeah. So I think on the next time I went up there, and I always drove up because it's, you know, six hours from Harare to Lusaka. So I would just drive up and... I mean, car. I can empathize now because I've been driving for yeah, the last right. bunch of days. But that, you know, before this past week, I'd be like, "That's a long." No, and it was a it was drive. a nice drive. You okay. know, you'd always see giraffes and elephants. Sure, and yeah. Life. It was it was a nice drive. Okay. So I think I went into the Department of Social Services there on mm-hmm. a Tuesday, and came home with Liam on Friday. Wow, just yeah, just like that. Yeah, and it's like up there. It was when I said, you know, well, we're just wondering if you can, you know, is it possible? And they're like, please. Yeah. And he was like, which kid do you want? <laughs> really? Was like, yeah. That was because, how it is. Because they had a major, of course, at that time, they had a major problem with the AIDS epidemic. Mm, and so there okay. were lots of AIDS orphans. Yeah. That whose parents had died and like lots. And this maybe, was not one kid Liam's case. But, no. No. But he, like his parents obviously... No, no, he was just abandoned. Yeah, yeah. they they weren't yeah. uh, 
they probably maybe couldn't afford to have the baby. You, no you know, idea. Who knows, right? Right. They had no. They have they no, no clue, background. But whatever. Zero. Yeah, so a multitude of possible. Reasons. No, on Keenan being in Canada. Yeah. We have a full background. You know. Okay. So you actually. We know all the history of the mother and the father. You don't know, know the names. Okay. You but get you to know, know their so you don't, medical history. Oh, you know their background. Which would help you with her in the future. Exactly. If something happened. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But William, you didn't have zero. any of that. Zero, zero. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're in Harare. You're helping Zambia. And then you get a another assignment. You guys are living there, but no. So then after that assignment, yeah, in Zimbabwe ended. Oh, wait, you. We were supposed to come back to Ottawa. Sure. And I said, ah, we're. I don't know. That sounds boring. <laughs> and Canada's boring. And again, it was kind of at Laurie's insistence. No giraffes. Why don't you take a an education leave? Okay. And get oh, your nice. PhD. Yes. Is that something you? Yeah, it was kind about? of in the back of my mind, but. Lori really pushed it, and so we did. And so, what and what advantage does this have for you? Oh, it's just, you know, and I would say this to anybody, you know, building human capital and yeah. is really important. Yeah. And it just an, gives you another leg up on the competition and your career. So people are like, no more and, school. And, you know, I was still in my 30s. I don't want to do school anymore, they say. Yeah. But it's it's worth it to, we got to keep growing and keep learning. Yeah. So, yeah, so I would have been. Yeah, so you're in your 30s. Yeah. In my 30s. And so, so, so let's, let's take an education leave. Yeah. And so I ended up applying at various schools, and Vanderbilt in Nashville gave me the best deal. Okay. With the full scholarship and a teaching assistantship and everything. And they do that for PhDs? They, they pay usually? Is that how it goes? Not everybody, but they do offer a fair number of scholarships. Because you got to do some work for them while you're there is that why these schools compete for students yeah because they want the best students that will then once you're out and if you became a high profile person here there another way then it builds their school's reputation so they give a a, like you're doing right now you're you're talking about them now yeah that's right (laughs) (laughs) so they can um, edit this part out if you would yeah no 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 and it's a good school it's a good school Um, see the system works yeah so they do give a number of scholarships and then they do give research and, and teaching assistantships. So there you do get paid for work. Yes. You have Did to you work. do that? Yeah, yeah. So I got a teaching assistantship. And then I got a cash a cash bonus, probably just because they knew I was mature and I did quite well on my so GRE. So did you make money and doing a PhD? No. No. <laughs> you were able to use that to live. Lori had to work. And, okay. Yeah. So Lori's doing, is she nursing at this point? She is semi-nursing. She does not have her full nursing degree done yet. She's always wanted to maybe do this. Yeah, so she got into phlebotomy and working with a kind of... Is that blood? Yeah, so she could take blood, (laughs) intravenous, but not a full-blown nurse. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And she was working for like an alternative doctor, alternative medicine guy who's into these alternative therapies. So it's just, she's always helping people. You guys are just no, help, no, and she helping no, no, people and she left really and right. liked it. And that I think really spurred her interest in nursing. So sure. that when we came back to Ottawa, eventually after Nashville, she finished her nursing degree. In Nashville, was she? Uh, sorry, in uh, Zimbabwe, was she able to do anything? Or she was what? working under contract on CETA projects. Okay, uh, so like she did get social a, a work bit, and uh, yeah, she was managing healthcare of some kind. Yeah, and, yeah, what they call the Canada Fund, which is this little projects fund where they give okay. money to this school and that school oh, that's and awesome. this organization oh. and that organization. That's really and great. she kind of oversaw that. I didn't so know that. that. But also, you have two babies. 
and she both was, of you are yeah taking care of these yeah, yeah. Was your was your time mostly uh taken up by by work or did you have time to hang out no, with that whole family? I had full time. I had plenty of time okay, outside so, of work. So you got to yeah, because you both you adopting these these kids. No, and you, and you want to grow you want to grow up with them in Zimbabwe. It's a lot easier to have raise children. Right? Sure, because yeah. people are you have staff to take care of things exactly. right. So that, do you feel like that was a huge benefit for you oh, guys to? Are you kidding? Like to, Getting to through start those, there, those like ages from zero to four with like a like whole massive, team, right? You got a nanny and a cook and a gardener. Oh my god! And that's just because how that's how it is. I mean, I know no, no, that's how it is. It's not. They come with the house, also, basically. You're, you're, uh, the way that I like to look at it is they, they're getting jobs because of know, the organization. Sure. And it's not like if he's like, I can cook my own food, you go home. Well, now they don't have a job. No, they're, no exactly. That's in, 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 in certain countries, that's important. You know, like we don't want to. No, no. It, domestic help in these yeah. countries is. That's, that's good work. It's big work. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, I think we probably treated them better than. Yeah, than, a lot of than others. Would. Yeah, I mean, it's so. like because but it was a huge benefit to us. What I like about all of this is is like you guys are going all these places and you're just spreading the good, right? Like you're doing good. You you're not hope going there. That's what you're doing. Well, you yeah, <laughs> but you are, and uh, you're not going out in order to kill elephants. You know what I mean? Oh no no no. Like no, that's no, no. you know this is what some other people on a compound might be there for. Yeah, and, and they might be doing, or they're just going there to to be rich and whatever. Yeah. And, and you guys, you're not, you weren't rich. You weren't. No, in those, you know, in that society, not poor, but we you were weren't, rich. Yeah. In, yeah. Relatively. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. In relative terms. Very well. But because you don't have this mindset that a lot of, you know, wealthy, uh, ignorant people have bad attitude doesn't necessarily come with wealth. Well, <laughs> but no, I but, know what you're saying. Yeah. But it's like some people, they have the wealth and then they don't realize how good they have it sure sure and then you they treat that. people poorly oh, I agree. and they yeah, don't have perspective that, that right yeah, yeah and yeah i guess like that's but it need not be the case it's one of the yeah. the main things here is, is that, that i want to convey to everybody listening is if you're in a situation of privilege or if you you come into it you know there are two ways you can go with it right you can go for the good or you can go for the self-serving Oh, no, self-interest for sure. You guys did good, right? And so you get your PhD. Yeah. Come back to Then we came back to CETA. How, yeah. For how much longer? So I guess we came back in like 97, something like that. Yeah, okay. And yeah, I guess I would stay back there for nine years or something because we moved to D.C. here to Washington in 2006. 2006. So you're doing everything that you're doing in Zimbabwe, but remotely or exactly. sort of? Yeah. yeah. I mean, a, well, diff- not slightly different role, but sure. still the same general. Yeah. Work. And you just got this opportunity to do what you do now for the World Bank. Um, so I came to the World Bank originally as CEDA's representative. I see. At the okay. World Bank. So it was connected. Yeah. Yeah. That was supposed to be four years. So 2006 to 2010. And then the Harper government came into power. Okay. They're not very, I mean, I don't want to criticize, you know, whatever, but sure. they were not very development friendly. It wasn't okay. a very good atmosphere. Funds at seed and development assistance was, you know, so being cut. It was changes. a low priority for the government. Hmm. And it just was not a very good environment. Not just from what I hear, although I wasn't there yeah. at the time because I was here, 
there was just kind of a lot of unease within the government of Canada. So then I jumped switched to staff yeah. at the World Bank. Okay. So I became like a full-time staff, nothing to do with Canada, nothing to do. And I retired from the Canadian. I like left the government of Canada. At that yeah. Time. Yeah. Like how hard was that to do? Oh, bye. You just asked somebody. Yeah. Bye. Gone. Hey, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Then. Okay. Here's a new, uh, no, you can, here's a new easy to resign. <laughs> Send your letter. <laughs> and then immediately you, you get hired. You resigned. No, no. Resigned I, I made sure I had a job. You had that at job. The World Bank before yeah. I put in my resignation. Letter. This is yeah. an interesting thing because not a lot of people uh, maybe know what it's like to work for a government within another country and then move into just you're already in the country, but now you're not. Like, do you have like how how does it work? Do you have diplomat status of some kind here? No, like when you when you were CETA in different places, in like, Zimbabwe. What's like, your status? Oh yeah, no, you're a Canadian diplomat. You're a Canadian diplomat. So yeah. you know we're doing pretty good for time. I mean, my longest one is an hour and thirty seven minutes, and we're, we're only an hour twenty six. <laughs> so this is pretty good. I'm going to be your um, most long winded guest. <laughs> no, no, I, I like it, and and there's nothing else that talks about breeding animals and, yeah, and the economics right. of that. So that's definitely staying in, but. Like, uh, can you explain, like, uh, benefits or, like, how a diplomat versus just somebody else working on an, a different visa? Like, what are the differences? Yeah, I mean, as a diplomat, we could import things duty-free. Okay. So, and you ha- kind of had to in Zimbabwe. Sure. Because there's not a lot of consumer goods that we would have been used to. Okay. You know, but like... Just stuff for, for your just, own personal use? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And so, yeah. we were make Lori particularly would make semi-frequent trips down to South Africa where th- things were much more available. Sure. And bring them back. Okay, so you that's... Know, so you could so just from do from any that. country, you can import. Import duty-free. Okay, wow. Yeah. So if you yeah. were uh, more on the evil side of the diplomat, you <laughs> you could take advantage you of that. could take advantage and of that. And would you say in the world there are diplomats who do this? Is that yes, not that are. you know? Not that you know. I did not. No, no, no not no, that no, you no, know no, no, no. them. But absolutely, just, this is something that people do take advantage of. Yeah, for sure. Okay, interesting. For sure. And uh, <laughs> so, and when you were then working at the World Bank as part of the Canadian government, you were a diplomat here in no. the United States. No, so because how does you that actually work? become a bank employee. Yes, though on loan from the Canadian government, you actually. Officially wear two hats. You wear your Canadian okay. representative yeah. hat, but you're also a bank employee. So you're supposed to be looking out for the best interest of the bank, but representing Canada's perspective on the board of directors at the bank. Interesting. Yeah. And so do you have people whispering in your ear from Canada then? Oh, yeah. yeah. So no, 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 no. You have the whole When things whole would come team, up yeah. at the board, sure. like for decision, yeah. we would call Canada. Okay. And we would say, what's your take on this? What should we be doing? And it didn't mean we had to follow exactly what they said. If it was not in the best interest of the bank, if there was a conflict. But they were informed. They said, here's Canada's perspective. And typically, we reflected that. Okay. With rare exceptions. Like, yeah. No, because the other thing is that because the World Bank is made up of like 183 members or something. I forget the exact number, but 180-something members. Not every member has a seat on the board of directors. I guess not. There's only at the time there were only 24 board of executive directors. Yeah, and there's the now ones 25. With the most uh, percentage, the highest percentage of representation. So Canada, yeah, even every country is represented at the board, but so Canada represented Canada, Ireland, and most of the Caribbean. Okay, 
And so sometimes Canadian interests were not the same as Ireland's or the Caribbean's yeah. interests. So sometimes we would say, no, no, this time we're siding with the Irish. That's a better perspective. So you're, yeah, you're wearing a bunch of hats. On, exactly. Uh, on, on exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And but usually there weren't conflict. I mean, normally we actually just gave our best advice and made our best decision what we thought was in the best interest of the bank and the and these decisions involved. in general are about where the money goes exactly it's uh it seems like a lot of responsibility no it's about where the money goes it was about evaluations is the bank doing the right things in education sector are they doing the right things in the health sector those kind of things what's the what's the tone like is it like we're all here to help the oh, world yeah. Like, yeah. is it hugely positive? Because it sounds so positive. No, no, the, the, the bank is fairly, is well-meaning. Yeah, and, it's like a lot of benevolent people, and, it yeah, seems. And staff, most bank staff want to do the right thing and are very, very dedicated. And they're very, very qualified. Like, I could not hardly think of an institution that has, and I can remember when our, the, the executive director, when I was there, was the, he was a deputy minister before he came to the bank. Okay, yeah. He was the deputy minister of, of Environment Canada. Okay. So right. he led Canada's yeah. environmental negotiations, and he was the head running COP11. And I can remember at a, one meeting at the bank, some issue on the environment was coming up, so we invited the bank's experts in. And I remember after the meeting him saying, you know, out of the top 10 environmental experts in the in yeah. the world four were just in this they room with us right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and this is is altruistic motivations is what brings all these people together i think you know yeah it, it, this all comes back to you're not being driven by money no right? but i sh i do have to say the bank is very well paid i'm, I'm sure no, these people no, well, that are you need the best minds because well yeah. the not that money attracts everybody um, no, but, no, no, because that quality of person can yeah, make that money elsewhere too. That's right. And and you don't want the lack of, of compensation to be a reason exactly. for someone to leave. So that's why to get those best people, the bank does have to offer for sure substantive salaries. Let's, let's uh, just close up on as to why you don't uh, have any RSPs. Oh, on that? Yeah. Because I'm okay. I'm here's why. That. So because we, we have an idea of your your path and and how you made it to where you are now you know we can see that that you you know you're getting your phd you're probably very well compensated you already had the four plex uh which you have now sold we sold that when i moved to washington okay and so in the meantime so we held it for a long time they sold that but i remember living in another house in glebe in in uh sorry, in visiting ottawa. you in another house yeah. in glebe in ottawa where you lived when you went back yeah you had so we that. had both of those properties so you had that time. and the farm building which was i'm guessing paid off uh very quickly uh, or, or no going? we still had a mortgage when okay. we sold it but okay. it had in increased in yeah, value of course. and we did well like we're, we're talking about relatively well buying it in the no 90s no 80s Bought in the 80s 80s and, and would have sold it in, in the 2007. I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> plus it that. was cash flow positive for most years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're not even. It's like it's paying for itself and appreciating. Yeah. Like this is this is a great lessons in getting started early, like in going back in time to the mm. 80s and buying something. <laughs> yeah. If we could all do this, that would be great. Or if you live in an area that is up and coming, you know, no, no for sure. Like Ottawa's a more difficult. I must say, Ottawa's. I think. 
is a more difficult rental market now. Okay, yeah. Because, you know, whether you're in Ottawa or Toronto or New York, you can only charge so much for rent. So the you know, rent are... can maybe be double in Ottawa what it is in yeah. Windsor. But the, but property, the property values yeah. are five times yeah. as much in Ottawa than they are in Windsor. Exactly. So that can be... It's much harder to cover and be cash flow positive in Ottawa or Toronto or Vancouver than it is in most other or Calgary or mm. these. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. you're, you're, you're getting a $800,000 mortgage if you have a 20% down exactly. payment on a million dollar house. And you house. can't really charge more than three grand a month or something. Yeah. You know what I so mean? in your mortgage payment, it might be four. So yeah. yeah, no, I did run into that with my, one of my previous landlords and he had to keep reducing the rental and then revealed to us that mortgage plus condo fees uh, was barely covering it. If, Absolutely. if covering it. Yeah. And, but he, and he tried, but he couldn't get anyone to pay that rent. Right? Exactly. And, and just that's, so that's, you didn't, you didn't run into this problem though. Or no. So you? for, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So buying it in the eighties, yeah, that, the, the market man. was not as inflated. Yeah. It's much more difficult to do now yes. in Ottawa or any of these major cities. So you had the, the house in, in Ottawa plus the, uh, the plex that you weren't living in, we renting mm-hmm. four units. And then yes, yeah, so you lived in the house in Ottawa until you moved here. Did you keep that yep. house? We sold that. Too. We sold that. And we rented it for. So you sold all your. Properties. We rented it for four or five years while we were in Ottawa, while we were here in DC. In DC, okay. Oh, more than that. Maybe and then, five or then six you years. sold it. Then we sold. Okay, it. so you, at one point you had no property in Ottawa. Is that right? Very or did short you, time. Very short time. And then Lori and bought the new place because, uh, yeah, be, you know, you, Lori wanted to go back to Ottawa. No, no we knew we were going to retire back. You wanted to go back to Ottawa. We knew, but you're still there. working here. It's yeah. very easy for you to. Well, you like to drive, so you're driving no back and forth, and you're able to buy this property here. And we bought this property. Here. Yeah. yeah. So is this where all your RSP money is then? Is that why? No. So my R- <laughs> the RSP was actually a conscious decision. Yeah. It's okay. not this. Sure. I ignored it. Although a lot of people do that. Yeah. They just. Well, yeah. That's. They just ignore their savings. <laughs> yeah. their, their retirement needs. Yeah. And it's terrible. No, it is. It puts them in a bind. That's right. And and uh, I mean, but uh, property is a very similar concept to forced savings in an sure. RSP, R- so, RSP account. Exactly. So this was a conscious decision that when you when you do an RSP, basically you're giving up present consumption for future consumption. Yeah, exactly. Because you're not spending this money now. Yeah. But I knew that being a government employee... I was going to have a good pension. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even think, I didn't think about yeah. this at all, actually. And of course, so I, I didn't really need any RSP saving would that's, be kind of a bonus. That's smart. And, yeah. and I knew I had investment income and that no matter what was going to happen, unless it was a total housing crash or something yeah. with these properties, I was you, fine. You got that. So, you're, and so why would yeah. I give up current consumption and constrain my lifestyle now for future consumption when I'm going to be okay in the future anyway. Well, you're already taking care of it. Exactly. That's Not everybody has this uh, a private or public pension as you exactly. do. Exactly. And of course, the, then there's CBP um, on top of that. Yeah, but with the government pension, oh, you don't get CPP. how does that work? Oh, interesting. Okay, so... so oh, my, yeah. my government pension, as yeah. soon as I take CPP, my government pension is basically reduced by the exact same amount. And when they... But not the case for old age security. Every year that does take up, the government pension must take up your RSP room too, though, right? Is it part I of it? I suppose it does. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Good. Well, most pensions, but this is a very diff- it's I've a never paid thing. attention to that RSP yeah. room because I don't have RSP. Well, because it's up so. to them to manage... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. the government. <laughs> and I, I wasn't going to put any extra in there, so I didn't care how much. Room Interesting. I had. 
Yeah, okay. So, yeah, of course. So you have a pension. Yeah, this is a good thing to know. Like, if you have a pension, you don't have to worry so much about the RSP no. because it is that. that. That is what the RSP if is If I didn't to have replace. a pension, you would have to have your own pension. Yeah, I mean, it's a retirement savings plan. Exactly. And a lot of it is for, a lot of it is uh, meant to replace the traditional pensions no. and what they were. And in and terms of tax implications, yeah. so I would be saving the tax now. You know, on my yeah, RSP. I mean, yeah. But I'd be paying it later when I'm going to be at about the same income level anyways. Same goes with your pension, less. though. That like you're, you're putting money into the pension plan or like they're taking some of it out and matching it. And that's not – that's taken up before taxes. Like that's yeah. how the pension works. So it does work in the same way. Yeah. yeah and I, I mean if you don't have to do tax – So there was, there was no real benefit. No, no. That and there's sense. no tax benefit to doing it really. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's a, a bit of a unique situation, but it's no, uh, interesting to to note that you just completely didn't do it, and you th- after thinking about it no. and, and realizing, and uh, and there is a, always a risk of um, of over contribution and then having to take money out and pay taxes that you don't have to oh, pay, yeah. which is what people do end up doing. You mean when they have to, they're forced to start withdrawing. When they turn into a registered retirement income fund at seventy-one, yeah, and you have to take out a certain percentage. Exactly. If it's too high, not a no. bad problem to have, exactly. of course, right? I mean, again, no, except <laughs> your tax on it. Privilege problems, yeah. but also, yeah, the whole point of it is you're supposed to defer the tax, not pay more tax when exactly. it comes out, and so people do run that risk. Yeah, no, that's good. Like I wanted to talk about once you got your money, what you put it in, and and. Uh, it seems like you you did a good job with the housing, and it's just much harder right. and you know harder I, I, today to do that. I agree, and I tried to play in the stock market a little bit, yeah, and very very quickly realized you need too much time. Yeah, there's guys that get their whole degree and career in yeah. this stuff and don't beat the market anyway. That's right. So why would I think I'm going to do better than just throwing any excess money in a mutual fund or something? I wish everybody could make this, you know. have this realization. No, <laughs> like without but before they buy a whole bunch of stocks and lose <laughs> their shirt, because it's true. Like, and also you could even say, yeah, you, maybe an active mutual fund if you were thinking of that at the time. But then we can go even further. These guys who manage the active mutual funds don't necessarily have any proof that they're doing better than the markets anyway so the best thing i've always said is just stay diversified across a kind of decent set of mutual funds or whatever by the the market and yeah exactly yeah and and and, and you don't have to worry then and and by like i don't talk about this enough i did i've had other guests to talk about uh, real estate obviously but you know if you you can get an investment property that pays for itself i mean what the oh, risk yeah. is super low. Like you know, it's just that it is a job. Like you had, no, no, to, you, you had to, to hire somebody. To you hired to... a property manager. Yeah. That was part of your costs. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all. If you, you you know, I guess how much of your, how much of your year would like what percentage of your time do you think that property when you had it took? With uh, the property manager? No, like with almost get, zero. Yeah, with okay. So that you turn that in the money became thing but before you had that well how much time well when we were living there yeah well that's the only right. time that i didn't have a property manager you were right was there we were right yeah. there and you know there'd be maybe let's say a vacancy a year yeah okay or maybe two vacancies and in you'd a year. have to work to try to fill and it. so i would have to go in there and maybe paint and sure paint okay. the walls do this one time i completely took all the carpet out and put down laminates in all the units and, and so that's a bit of work, but I would say it wouldn't have been 
on average five hours a month. And you were lucky with you tenants know. then. Pretty lucky with tenants. some people have we had, had the one, the odd horror one stories. time we had a horror story in that okay. case, but other than that, it was was there was there poop fine. involved because it usually was there what? involves poop of some kind. There was, but that was in the police car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's a really good place to end it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we'll I don't. We could have another half hour just <laughs> drilling down on whatever that story was. Thanks so much, Cal. Okay, thanks. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please go give me a five-star rating and write a review. If you're already a subscriber, you're the best. I'd love to get your feedback on this episode in my new Facebook group. To find the group, go to Facebook and search for The Personal Finance Show. Once you're approved, you'll be able to interact with me and previous guests of the show and other fans as well. Because right now, I don't know who listens to the podcast. It's not like there's a list of who listens and who doesn't. And, you know, the only way for me to know what's happening out there and who's enjoying the show is through reviews and through this Facebook group if you want to come and talk to me directly or send me an email. As I said at the start of the episode, this is the last episode of 2018 and I'll be taking a few weeks off. But I have some great guests lined up for the next three months. First up in January will be Melissa Leong, author of the new book, Happy Go Money. Then I have the founder of Total Control Financial, Damian Lupo, Jackie Lamb from HeyFreelancer.com, and Nico Barrowweed, head of international business at Nova Credit. And that's just January. I have guests lined up for next year and the year after that and however many years it'll take me to interview everybody. Everyone has a personal finance story and I want to help them tell it. Thanks so much for a great 2018, and I'll talk to you again in the new year.